0: So as we've just experienced over the past few years, first off, how many of you guys have experienced more than one Thanksgiving meal in the past few days? Anyone? Okay, yeah. Yeah, so your seats are really, I mean, no, never mind. Anyways, uh, no, it's uh, over the past few days, there, have, uh, there, have, uh, there are a few acts or we've experienced the meals that we've shared with our friends and our family. And, and as, uh, as we've just experienced over the past few days, there are few acts that express love and companionship greater than sharing a meal with someone. Typically, when we are sharing food, it is either with our friend or our family or someone that we are on the way of, uh, is on their way to becoming a friend. You see, in an ideal world, a dinner table is a functional space where we not only refuel ourselves, but it's also a place where hospitality and fellowship is experienced. This morning, I've got the, I have the privilege of closing out our series, What Happens When We Worship. Over the course of this series, we've looked at what the Lord does when His people gather together and worship Him. You see, a lot of times we view uh, what we get out of it, but the Lord is doing something whenever we as a church come together. See, this series has been important because, uh, because it, it, it kind of shifts our view of, uh, of what happens whenever we are together for corporate worship. Rather than focusing on what we take away from the worship, we get to see that whenever we are gathered as God's people, we see that He is at work. There's something special that happens whenever God's people gather. So this morning, As we close out this series, I am looking to answer the question, what happens when we feast? Whether you are used to hearing the term the Lord's table, the Lord's supper, or communion, all these point to the same thing. And throughout uh, this morning's message, I will be using the term the Lord's table, but these terms are synonymous with one another. The consumption of the Lord's table is one of the two ordinances that Christ uh, has given the church, and we are commanded to partake in the Lord's table. So, I said there's one of two, so just if you want to know. The other one is baptism. We are, we are, um, we are, uh, uh, the, the second ordinance by, given from Christ is that we are to be baptized. So, if you've been around Capshaw for some time, then you know that it is a regular part of our routine to partake in the Lord's table together. But, why do we do it? What happens when a Christ follower, or when we as Christ followers partake in the Lord's table? As we have for the entirety of this series, uh, I will give you the main point of today's sermon. And then uh, the rest of the time, don't think just because there's one, we're going to get out early. But uh, I'll give you the sub points as we kind of navigate through our text. But our our main point for this morning is that the Lord's table reminds believers of what Christ has done, what he is doing, and what he will continue continue to do while also promoting fellowship and humility. So as I mentioned earlier, partaking in the Lord's table was instructed uh, by Christ right before his arrest. Um, In his letter to the church of Corinth, the Apostle Paul offers instructions in how we are to consume at the Lord's table. So this morning, if you have your Bibles, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We'll be camping out there uh, for a majority of this morning, but we're going to begin in chapter 11, beginning in verse 17, where the Apostle Paul kind of furthers the instructions for the Lord's table. We begin in verse 14, the word of the Lord reads this way. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because you come together, or when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as the church, as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among, among you may be recognized. But when you come together, it is not the Lord's supper that you eat, for in eating each other or each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Do you despise the church uh, of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. So this is not an encouraging uh, portion of this passage, but it does reveal something very important about what happens when we take the Lord's table, which brings us to our first sub-point this morning. The Lord's table points to the need to cultivate and protect unity amongst the church. We see that in this passage that, uh, that there, there are some divisions that the, that the church in Corinth are facing. And while there are many reasons that we are to participate in the Lord's table, we see at the beginning of this passage that there's a degree of importance placed on how we live relationally with our faith family. Now, I understand that we have all been, or many of us at least, have been in homes where extended family, you haven't seen them since last Thanksgiving. And you're sharing a meal and you're worried about bringing up politics or you're worried about, about bringing up, uh, maybe it's even a certain football team, you know, the Iron Bowl was yesterday, maybe, maybe you're, 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 it's a little tense, right? But we see whenever we take the Lord's table, there is a degree of importance on how we do it uh, and, and, and how we live together relationally with our faith family. At the beginning of this passage, the Apostle Paul offers some insight that, uh, into what was occurring in Corinth at this time. The church in Corinth, they were not in a good place, spiritually speaking. In verse 17, Paul states, When you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. Now, we can agree that that would be like the worst Yelp or Google review that a church can have, right? Like whenever you get together, it's not for the good. You see, this is important because it's not good whenever you come together is what Paul is telling them. It's actually for the worse, and that's what happens whenever sin happens. Enters the church, a pastor theologian. He describes it this way: He says, "Healthy churches are characterized by truth, holiness, and unity. When a church is unhealthy, disunity, division, and disharmony break out. Division infected the church in Corinth. The pandemic was was uh, symptomatic at the Lord's table. You see, in Corinthians, uh, the Corinthians they were abusing the Lord's table." They had adopted more of a worldly value of their pagan culture, And in this cultural division, um, it was between the social elite and the common people, the common folk. And, uh, and, and, and not only was it based on, uh, based on their socioeconomic stating or standing, it's how they also had partaken in the Lord's table. You see, the early church, they celebrated the Lord's table in the context of a meal together. Later on, whenever we take the Lord's table, it's a substitute. It's pointing to the feast that we get to celebrate um, after Christ's return. But at this point in uh, in early church history, it's a meal. They're, They're sharing a meal together. And the reason this became subject of Paul's correction is that the social elite were down to consume their own special they were they were uh, they, they were down to consume their own special dinners and they would not share with others you see some people uh, or some believe that it was a result of their socioeconomic uh, structure the, uh, the the rich the, the the elite did not have to work and uh, and the lower class they would have to work so as a result uh, by the time the uh, the the lower class individuals would show up for uh, for this meal all the food's gone all the food had been consumed by the, uh, by, the, the, by the rich elite of the church. Regardless, in other words, they would not bring um, their own food, or they would bring their own food, and they would not share their food with those that had nothing to bring. This past Sunday, just a week ago, we celebrate, we got together as a church family for a church-wide Thanksgiving meal. It was delicious, right? Amen. All right, good. I mean, we're, trying, we're gauging for next year. So um, it was great. It was a great time of fellowship. It was a great time of seeing one another. It was a great time to sit around a table and eat a meal together. However, I got called up after service, and I got there after the lines were gone. There was not enough food, so we will repent. No, it was, uh, uh, you know, thinking about this meal as a family. There was plenty. We ate. We did not starve, but... Imagine if you were to arrive at a meal only to find that the people before you who did not have to work loaded up their plates and they did not have enough for you. There wasn't enough food for you. We can agree that there would cause tension. If you've ever been to a wedding, a feast, a celebration, and there's not enough food provided from the caterer, things get a little uh, dicey, right? Things get a little crazy when there's not enough food for people to eat, and that's the exact same, the same thing that's happening here. There was much tension caused uh, during the Lord's Table in the early church. This is what was happening, and this is what Paul is addressing. There was a divide within the church. Those, uh, you had those that had and those that had not, and you had the rich, the rich elite and those that were poor and lowly. And in verse 22, Paul then asks a rhetorical question. He says, he asks, what, do you not have houses to eat or drink in, or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? The Apostle Paul is pointing out that the Lord's table is meant for the church. It's, meant, it's not meant to be partaken in your home or by yourself. It's meant, as a, uh, it's meant for the people that are, that are gathered corporately to worship the Lord. Paul Paul is uh, signifying a high view of the church in this passage, and there's something that's also special that happens when when we as a faith family come together and feast with one another. In order, in, or in part, it is because we are partaking in this ordinance with a group of people in which we ha- are unified with. So as we continue our passage, we see that the next portion in which Paul offers or actually uh, reiterates is the instructions and in how we are to partake in the Lord's table. So we continue in verse 23, he writes, he says, for I, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way he took the cup after, after, uh, after supper, saying, This cup is the, co- is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. Verse twenty six, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You see, this uh, this portion of scripture we receive uh, from the Apostle Paul the specific instructions in which we are how in which in which how we are to receive the Lord's table, which brings us to our second subpoint. The Lord's table points to the sacrificial sufferings, suffering of Christ. You see, we uh, we we see that the instructions are specific. They go into great detail. We will uh, we will talk about this here in a moment. Whenever we whenever we uh, feast together, but as you see, as 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 you know, over the past few days of dealing with um, dealing with uh, maybe meal prepping, maybe getting ready for uh, Thanksgiving, uh, many of us have spent uh, spent much time combing through specific cookbooks or recipe books that have been passed down. Uh, maybe from generation to generation as part of your family celebration. But there are basically two types of people whenever they're prepping for a larger meal like this. You have some people who follow the recipe to a T, right? You're asking Google or Alexa, like, how many cups are in this? And you want to make sure that you are following this recipe as it is written down. Anyone want to admit that this morning? You have some people like my wife, who reads a recipe, and she looks at it, and she views it more of as a, su- as a suggestion or a recommendation. I can't tell you how many times in the Bentley household the phrase, they don't know my oven, has been uttered. I'm like, do you, though? Like, what are we talking about? They don't know my oven. These people were, were uh, never mind. Anyways, uh, there are two different people those that want to follow it and those of you this more of a suggestion but we see in this portion of the passage that this is great detail in which we are to partake this isn't a suggestion this reveal, Paul reveals in verse 23 that the lord's table is a ritual that was delivered down from the lord we are also instructed whenever we partake in the lord's table we are to do so by remembering Christ and what Christ has done on our behalf you see, this ordinance was given to us by Jesus. It was instituted as the, scriptures, uh, as the Scriptures teach. And on the night he was betrayed in an atmosphere where he knew he would uh, soon be betrayed, Christ demonstrated love. In verse 24, we see that Christ gives thanks for the meal, demonstrating uh, why, uh, why we are to give thanks before our meals. That's kind of the example that, that, that's been said. And this simple meal of bread and cup exalts Christ. Christ broke the bread, Jesus stated that the bread was his body, which he broke now this points to a truth found uh, found in the doctrine of in, of the of incarnation is in, in order for his body to be broken he must he must have had a body this also affirms Christ's substitutionary atonement and while there are many views of the bread that's partaken at the Lord's table the scriptures language points to a metaphorical use of Um, Rather than a real presence view. So the bread symbolizes Christ's body. And then moving on to verse 25, the, the Apostle Paul then highlights the purpose of the cup. The cup represents the new covenant, as Paul teaches. This too is a symbol. Whereas the old covenant, God gave his people the law, the new covenant is in Christ's blood. God gave his son for sinners. The old covenant was based on Israel's behavior. When God obeyed, uh, or I'm sorry, when Israel obeyed, God uh, blessed them. When Israel disobeyed, God would punish them. But the new covenant is based uh, is based on Christ's blood. We see in Ephesians chapter one, verse seven: In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace. In both instances, the bread and the cup, Christ offers us, uh, uh, Christ Christ offers us an imperative. When we are talk, whenever we are to partake in the Lord's table, we are to remember Him, and we are to remember what Christ has done for us. Jesus secured the new covenant, which resulted in in God forgiving our sins. Christ fulfilled the Passover by accomplishing the ultimate Exodus, by delivering His people from the bondage that comes from sin. Much like the Passover meal celebrated, God deliver, uh, celebrated God's delivering. Uh, The people of Israel from the bondage of slavery, the Lord's table is set so that we will remember how the Lord redeemed us from the bondage of sin. Theologian uh, D.A. Carson, he wrote this. It was wonderful. He, He wrote this. He says, We can become so engrossed in administration, praise courses, expositions of the Psalms, seminars on marriage, and how to rear your children, and countless more good things that Jesus' death and resurrection become the presupposition of our faith and no longer its center. You see, being that the Lord's table serves as a memorial for Jesus' Christ work, this does not mean that we are to focus on feeling sorry for Christ. Um, being that he suffered so tragically, the, the Lord's table celebrates Jesus' victory over death. But the Lord's table is not just a memorial to Christ. It also is a proclamation of, of the cross of the cross of, uh, of Christ. We see this in verse 26 where the apostle Paul writes he says for as often as you eat this uh, eat this bread and drink the cup you proclaim the uh, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So so what does that look like? We proclaim that the Lord died. We proclaim that Jesus that Jesus died on the cross. We proclaim how he died, how he were to die, the painful death, his body broken, his blood spilled. We also proclaim why the Lord died, for to redeem sinners like you and I, by him to secure his, his own children's salvation. And there's a difference in educating or teaching versus making a proclamation. To proclaim something means to make a prophetic announcement to an unbelieving world. Praise the Lord that we are a part of a church that has no problem proclaiming Christ in everything that we do. And then we, if we look back to verse 23, we see that we preach. Uh, I'm sorry, this is uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23. Uh, Paul writes this, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, and folly for Gentiles. We at Capshaw, we want to make sure that everything that we do is is, uh, is proclaiming Christ from how we teach, the, uh, from, from what we do in students, uh, children's ministry, the music worship that we have. Everything is proclaiming Christ. Gospel centrality carries over in the ordinance of the Lord's table. The Lord's table serves as a silent, gospel-rich sermon. Every time we take the Lord's table, we are proclaiming the death of Christ until he returns again. Now, at the close of verse 26 in chapter 11, we see that uh, we are to partake in the Lord's table until Christ returns. There is a close tight correlation between the crucifixion of Christ and his return. We see in Acts chapter 1 verse 11, and said uh, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into the heaven. Not only is Jesus returning, he is also waiting upon his return. We see in Matthew uh, chapter 26 verse 29, I will tell uh, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. We see throughout the gospels that Jesus drank of wine and uh, yet we see in this verse that he made a vow of abstinence that he's going to wait until the believers until his children are with him at the marriage supper of the Lamb, and while the Lord's Table is not only a reminder of what Jesus has done, it's also a proclamation that He will return. So, as we've looked, we've seen that there are multiple um, sections. This this uh, this text kind of dives into three different sections. Uh, the closing portion of this section, the Apostle Paul writes this in verse twenty-seven. He writes, "Whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks of the cup." of the Lord is an unworthy man uh, in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord let the person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup for anyone who dr- who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself that is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died but if we uh, but if we judged ourselves truly we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that, uh, so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment about the other things I will give directions when I come. Our last sub-point for this morning is that the Lord's table points to the need for reflection and examination, reminding us of our need for Christ. When, whenever we partake in the Lord's table, it is, uh, it is the Christian that is spiritually nourished. Whenever we dwell on the things of Christ and whenever whenever uh, or what He has done on our behalf, then we as believers are strengthened in our union with Christ. You see, as we close out our passage, um, this morning, we see that there are there that this is something in which we are to partake in the Lord's table with reverence. We uh, we see that there's a contrast between unworthy and worthy practice of the Lord's table. The Bible, uh, the scriptures teach of 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 warning against taking the Lord's table in an unworthy manner. This warning is one that we should pay attention to because this warning ha- has caused hesitancy for some. Uh, for, uh, for some against partaking in the Lord's table. It, not caused, uh, it has caused believers to avoid the Lord's table out of fear of not being worthy. Here in this passage, Paul is, is not referring to a personal worthiness. We're not expected to approach the, the Lord's table in perfection. We're not expected to, uh, to, to, to approach the Lord's table having not sinned. He's not referring to a personal worthiness. In fact, as sinful people, we would not be able to participate in the Lord's table ever. We are only made worthy positionally by faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Pastor H.B. Charles Jr., he uses an illustration to make this point of of taking the Lord's table a little clearer. He he, He writes this, he says, noticing a member's reluctance to take the cup... A pastor said to her, take it, woman, it's for sinners, it's for you. He continues to write, he says, Christ makes sinners worthy by his body and blood, but the, uh, but the baptized can take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. It is, it is a sinful attitude towards Christ and towards the church. Whenever we partake in the Lord's table with unconfessed selfish selfishness, with, uh, with rebellion, or divisiveness uh, will only make the guilty uh, further sin, will only make those that are already guilty of sin further sin, uh, 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 sin even more. Irreverence mocks the finished work of Jesus and would crucify him again. You see, when we participate in a worthy manner, believers must examine themselves. This does not require a deep introspection, but it does, it does, it does it, or we should, as believers, have a genuine examination of our heart, a genuine examination of how we are partaking in the Lord's Supper, in the Lord's Table. The, uh, we see in Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24, the psalmist writes, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there are any grievous ways uh, grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. That's one of the reasons why, whenever we will partake in the Lord's Supper, or the Lord's Table in just a moment, we're doing so to, to give time so that we can, so that we can examine ourselves. We, we're not trying to rush to get out to, to, to get to lunch or catch the next football game. We're, we're doing so as a way that we can examine before we partake in the Lord's table. As we see in, in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 29, there's a chance for one to provoke divine judgment upon themselves. This verse reveals that non Christians, those that aren't believers, those that are not resting in the finished work of Jesus, should not partake in the Lord's table. In fact, uh, keeping with, uh, with the previous analogy, pastors are actually urged to fence or to protect the Lord's table. You see, Paul points out that we should uh, not approach it in an unworthy manner. He doesn't point out we shouldn't approach it as an unworthy individual. You see he's not concerned if we are deserving to in approaching the table on our own merit, we will never be able to earn the right to approach the Lord's table. The question is whether one is approaching the Lord's table with indifference or with a heart that's unrepentant. If one is afflicted by sin, the Lord's table is comfort. If an individual is comf- is, is comfortable with sin, then the Lord's table will be an affliction. You see Paul Paul goes on to call, uh, also calls us to look around to discern the body. Christ's body is broken for the believers, so that they can be made whole. You see, uh, the division within uh, the Christian body is not a faithful proclamation of the gospel. Once again, theologian D. A. Carson he writes that the church is made up of natural enemies that binds us together. Uh, what binds us together is not common education, common race, common income levels, common politics, common nationality, common accents, common jobs, or anything else of the sort. Christians come together because they have, uh, because they have all been saved by Jesus Christ and owe him a common allegiance. He goes on and says, They are, ban- they are a band of natural enemies who love one another for Jesus' sake. You see, the Lord's table reminds us something very important, is that we are all on equal footing. The Lord's table reminds us that we are in need of a Savior and that we can't earn our way back to God ourselves. You see, enclosing the young and the old, the rich and the poor, and the people from all kinds of walks of life uh, point to the reason they're together, which is Christ's substitutionary death. When we eat the bread and drink the cup, we proclaim Christ's death until he comes again and we express our fellowship with him. Let's pray.